Welcome to Gruesome, your horrific true crime podcast. I am Connie, along with the songbird of the South, Meg. (laughs) (laughs) And tonight she is going to tell us about Andrea Claire. (laughs) The songbird of the South is Kate Mm -hmm. Smith. Song, song of the South. Um, what would you say that? Pie. What, what's happening in your brain right now? <laughs> uh, lemon drop martinis. So <laughs> we shall carry on. We shall carry on. All right. So tonight we're going to talk about Andrea Claire, who also went by numerous other names. And your trigger warnings for the night are sexual assault and suicide and um domestic violence and i'm trying to think if there's anything else there's a lot going on in this one i will be i'll be very open with you in the beginning but andrea claire was born in 1941 in new jersey and i don't have a ton of information on her background um, especially her childhood uh, up until the point that she was 15. Really, I don't know. I don't have any information before that. But her life became exponentially more complicated around age 15 because Andrea was forced by her own mother to marry her rapist after she had conceived a child from rape. Oh, God, I hate that. Yeah. Her mother claimed that Andrea wasn't raped, that an adult had gotten an adult man had gotten her teenage daughter drunk and taken advantage of her, which fun fact, that's still rape. Um, The two did inevitably divorce after what Andrea described as an abusive two years. Two children were born from that marriage. Uh, And due to her unplanned teenage pregnancy and marriage, Andrea dropped out of school in the ninth grade. She found various jobs. She was a secretary, a waitress, an escrow worker. She was a model and a stripper. In her 20s, Andrea found acting. And she was pretty good at it. She landed parts in M.A.S.H., She had a two-episode run on Bewitched, where she played a character named Betty. She was in Russ Meyer's Beyond the Valley of the Dolls. She was credited under the name Samantha Scott. So sometimes when you see this case, it's also under Samantha Scott. But she was also credited uh, as Donna Does It, Sarah Stunning, Prudence Smith. She landed roles in um, some late 60s nudie cuties, and they were called like <laughs> Horny Hobo and Wild Gypsies and Nude Jangos, oh. Bad Girls for the Boys. Nudie cuties. I've never heard n- that term. <laughs> nudie cuties. They were in like grindhouse theaters in the 60s. Oh, uh, and grindhouse. They, they weren't like hardcore porn or anything by any means they were inevitably Skinamax. yeah kind of it was just like eventually they would get more explicit and but yeah this was just like you know cute naked ladies i guess so she did that she um did some nude modeling as well 
uh, and acting gigs weren't consistent. So she began doing sex work in addition to any parts that she could get. But while filming a B movie, she was thrown from a horse and she injured her back. And this is what she claims led her into pursuing full-time sex work throughout a very large chunk of her adult life. Um, she, I don't know. I, she had these, these titles and these credits and she did do the sex work, but her sex work was mostly in brothels as well. So she was doing like massage parlors and brothel work essentially. Also during this time, twenties, thirties, Andrea was married a lot. Her second marriage lasted only three days because after they were married, the man said that she couldn't bring her children into the, their new family. So they, she left that guy. Um, they divorced and then she married a man from Jordan who needed a green card so that he could stay in the United States. She said that he told her he didn't want to be forced to fight in any wars against his cousins, and she was sympathetic to his plight. So she married him for a couple of years. The two divorced, and that man ended up marrying his own like childhood sweetheart. She had a fourth husband who was a gay man named Derek. In 1961, she gave birth to a third child that she gave up for adoption, in March of 1980, Andrea married again after a 10-day courtship. Courtship, sorry. Two weeks later, after that marriage, her fifth husband allegedly flew into a jealous rage. She claimed she had to fight him out of her L.A. apartment with a butcher knife. To so they were knew each other for 10 days. They got married. He and she was a beautiful woman. Like uh, Andrea Claire was uh, like very like stereotypical sixties beautiful like long thin um, like buxom dark hair big eyes she was very pretty but at thirty nine Andrea Claire found herself single again and uh, once again doing exclusively sex work and this was how she met her sixth husband Robert Sand. Robert was 69. He was a retired businessman who had made his fortune in lumber before retiring to Los Angeles. Robert also had multiple sclerosis and he was confined to a wheelchair. He and Andrea met or Andrea met because Mr. Sand was spending thousands of dollars a month on sex workers at the brothel that she worked at. He had been married for 35 years and his wife divorced him after learning about his longstanding investment in the Los Angeles sex work industry. In December of 1980, after his divorce was final, he began living with Andrea. But prior to this, he was spending so much money hiring just her for various sex acts or massages that his accountant was like, you should marry her because it's going to be cheaper than continuing to hire her every week. Yeah. And the madam of that brothel that she worked at 
was like, oh, yeah, he's a great guy. You know, he's a little rough, but he usually treats the ladies well. And and he had never mistreated um, Andrea during any of their sessions either. He owned an apartment in Westwood, L.A., and around December of 1980, she started staying there. The two then married quickly and moved into his home at the Springs at Rancho Mirage, which is in the Coachella Valley, and it's a very affluent area. Uh, It's like, it's got a golf course. It's like a country club. It's very, it was nice. It's a nice place. It's still there. So Andrea went from being a sex worker in a brothel and living to living a very high style life. She said Robert would just follow her around and watch her play golf or watch her play tennis. He would take her shopping and she would engage in his sexual fantasies. And mostly I've been telling this story from Andrea's perspective as though she's been dealt a rough hand in surviving. And I think there's something to the idea that she, as a 40-year-old woman in 1980, saw a man with a degenerative disease and was like, oh, this could better my situation in life. And in a couple of years, he might not be around or maybe he'll be bedridden and I will, you know, inherit or become his benefactor. So I do think that maybe Andrea was dealt a rough hand, but I also feel like maybe she was taking advantage of the situation a little bit. But you guys can decide for yourselves. And... As it goes, the relationship started off well, but Robert became more controlling over her social life. There was this like list of sexual agreements that they had made before getting married, and they, they were all the things that she had to do for him after they were married, but he was a jealous guy, and as the marriage went on, he started to prevent her from going out without him at all. She had to be with him if she was anywhere, and when she was in their home, She was required to be naked the majority of the time because he was like a sexual voyeur. Um, He would bring other men in so that he could watch her have intercourse with them. She was photographed constantly. He like there were pictures in their house of her nude everywhere in their bathroom was literally a poster of her like in a wet t-shirt. Like he was just super obsessed with her and the way she looked. He wanted to physically dominate her, but he was in a wheelchair, so he resorted to other methods. Like, he would paddle her, um, and he was just continually pushing that envelope of, like, what he wanted her to do. And inevitably, Andrea kind of began to push back after she said that the sex that Robert wanted was becoming more and more sadistic. Robert Sands had complaints regarding their marriage as well. He said that Andrea would routinely berate him and insult him um, or leave him alone for long periods of time so she could, like, go, quote, unquote, play tennis. So maybe he thought she was having relationships outside of their marriage. Um, And he also claimed that she had a terrible tenter. Oh, my goodness. He also claimed that she had a terrible temper and was regularly abusive toward him. It's unclear if she became, like, abusive in return or, like, in response to his demands, but it seemed as though he didn't really expect her to fight back. 
Still, he was very enamored with her. He was attracted to her and essentially her beginning to fight back or be abusive to him. That wasn't really a deal breaker for him because he liked the way she looked. Just a few months into their marriage, Andrea contacted a friend to inquire about Secanol or Secobarbital. It's a sleeping pill, has a high risk of becoming habit forming. She had told her tennis partner that she had already attempted to poison Robert with this drug and that he was probably going to die soon from his MS. And her friend was like, "Mm, no, I don't think he's going to die anytime soon. And she countered like, no, he knows that he's going to die soon. Like she was actively talking to the people in her life about Robert dying. And I think that Andrea had this ideal, had idealized this marriage of convenience where her life would be easier. And then she realized that she was now like a 24 seven sex slave to someone that she was forced to stay with because there's now a legally binding contract and she depended on him for her for her financial comfort. So they were married at the beginning of 1981 and on May 13th, 1981, the tensions that had been building in their marriage came to a head at 4 a.m. on May 14th. Security guards at the Springs were called in to investigate an alarm that had gone off at the Sands address. The front door was open when they arrived, and Andrea, wearing only a black robe, was waiting for security. She was visibly shaken and upset. She told them that a man had come into their home, violated her husband in their bedroom, and then ran out the sliding glass door. She led the guards into the bedroom where they found the nude body of Robert Sand in a pool of his own blood. 45 minutes later, Sheriff's Detective Fred Lestar arrived to secure the scene. Andrea, her story immediately started changing. She was like, there was one, maybe there was two male intruders. Um, And then after she retold the story to the detective, Uh, She was released to go visit a neighbor. What? Yeah, they were like, all right, thanks for the story. You can go do what you got to do now. Investigators established that Sand had been stabbed 27 times in the chest. And they let her just go to a neighbor's? Yeah. After she was like, it was one guy. Maybe it was two. I'm not sure, actually, now that we talk about it. Um... Not only was he stabbed 27 times, but he was hit over the head several times with a, it's described as a one by four exercise board. And I did extensive Googling. I asked for help to try to figure out what the hell an exercise board is. And like, I was thinking like maybe a step platform from like the Jane Fonda exercise tapes. Did you know Jane Fonda still does those exercise tapes every day? No, she does it. Yes, she does. She's an almost 90-year-old super Jane babe. Fonda. I she know. is super don't, hot. And don't come at me with your shit talking about Jade Fonda. I do not care. Dude, we'll, we'll block you. <laughs> <laughs> we'll block you. We don't give a fuck. That's uh, a hard Anyways, limit. You can talk all this shit about us, but leave Jade Fonda out of it. Talk shit about me all you want, but if you talk smack about Jane Fonda, That's we're going to have problems. That's it. That's it. All right, back to business, back to business. 
Uh, in addition to the blunt force trauma and numerous stab wounds, there was Wait a trail. Wait a second. Didn't she say she, he was violated? Yeah, but I, think I feel just... like that was a little bit more. Yeah. <laughs> like he was fucking brutally murdered. He was brutally murdered. Someone violated my husband and you like expect minimum, minimum damage. No. Yeah. Oh, well, man. Yes, I agree. He was brutally murdered, not just violated. Um, so in addition to the trauma, the stab wounds, there's a trail of blood from the bedroom to the living room sliding glass door, and there's a single large blood stain on the patio area. Uh, Andrea said that the intruder that murdered her husband had left through that patio door, but there weren't any footsteps in the grass through their yard. There, She told the sheriff that she had taken sleeping pills and gone to bed early that night. And she took the sleeping pills, she fell asleep, woke up to the sound of her husband screaming and calling out for help, and then stumbled out to investigate the yelling, saw a man running out of the door, and she started to follow her husband's cries down the hallway when another man bumped into her in the dark hallway. She couldn't tell if it was a man, but he bumped into her and knocked her down and then all followed the other guy out of the house and ran out of the condo. She claimed that she entered the bedroom and found her husband dead in the bed. And if you walked in and found your husband dead, what would be your next move? Call the police. Call the police. Maybe run to a neighbor's house. Maybe try to perform CPR, right? Mm -hmm. You're like, no, my love. Um, Andrea's next move was to wash her clothes. Mm, She washed her clothes. That's, I don't know, Andrea, a little sketch. Uh, She said that they got blood all over them when she bent down to try to help him. Um, So she washed her clothes, and then she went back to bed for two hours before calling security. Mm. She took a little nap. She was like, wow, that was a lot. I could use a rest after that fiasco. Um. So her husband's lying dead. Her clothes are in the washing machine. She's taking a nap. Her story of intruders breaking in and murdering her wheelchair-bound husband while leaving her alone and taking nothing was not convincing. There were no signs of forced entry. And to make matters worse for her, she refused to take a polygraph, which, same. Like, I wouldn't take one either, but it doesn't make you look good, babe. Not not the move. Initially, the knife used to stab Robert was missing, but a second search of the home revealed a four-inch paring knife under the couch in the couple's living room. Andrea told investigators that she was going to pray about it, and then later she returned to reveal that, you know what? She remembered that she had pulled the knife out of her husband's chest and she also washed the knife when she washed her clothes. So she Mm. went in, found him dead, tried to help him, pulled the knife out, washed the knife, washed her clothes, went and took a nap. That's how it went down. Robert Sands' autopsy revealed that the fatal blows had been stab wounds into his aorta. 
He had defensive wounds on his arms, indicating that he had tried to fight off his attacker while lying down. At her psychiatrist's recommendation, Andrea stopped talking to the police and got an attorney named Gary Schroeder, who was largely considered to be one of the better criminal defense attorneys in the Palm Springs area. Despite their suspicions that she was responsible for the attack on Robert, things went pretty quiet until July 23rd when the Indio Sheriff's Department received an emergency phone call from Andrea. They arrived to find her on the kitchen floor of her home. She was nude. Her hands and feet had been bound, and she had a knife sticking out of her butt cheek, like stabbed into her butt cheek. After being rescued, Andrea told police that she had been visiting family in New Jersey and returned to find two men and a woman waiting for her in her own home. They had raped her repeatedly and told her that they had been the ones to kill her husband and that they were going to come back for more. There was an investigation, but there was no physical evidence. Nothing was found. One of the lead detectives on the case told Andrea that he wasn't sure that he believed her story because her hands and feet had been tied with slip knots. And he was like, you know, I'm kind of wondering whether or not you tied yourself up and then stabbed yourself in the butt. <laughs> I'm sorry, saying stabbed in the butt is really hard not to laugh at. <laughs> Anyways, she's offended. She was like, excuse me, I would never tie myself up and stab myself in the butt. Uh, and how he could even think to suggest that she was like, if you don't believe me, then arrest me, which again, not the move, sis. But the detective told her that it's possible she was going to be arrested. And he was actually convinced that one of three things would come next after this event took place. He believed that she would kill herself, that she would kill another person or she would continue to call back with more of these attacks. And he would be correct on all three of those counts. After the initial call to the Indio Sheriff Station, Andrea Sand began regularly calling police to report that she had been attacked, she was abducted, she was sexually assaulted, etc., etc. She turned over threatening letters, that she was like, these are from the murderers. They're giving me these letters. But the letters all only had her fingerprints on them. And they had all been written on paper from her own home. Again, never any physical evidence, no signs of forced entry at any point. There was just never anything except for Andrea's account of being attacked or abducted or assaulted or whatever was happening to her. And she was able to continue just going about her life. A neighbor invited her to attend church. And while she was at this church Christmas party, she met Joe Mac Mims. Joe was a 56-year-old widow 
who believed every word Andrea told him about her husband's murder and the repeated attacks on her. And he was furious. He was like, how could, how could they treat you this way? So he went to the police station and caused a ruckus. And he went to the DA and told them to do some real police work, find the actual criminals. Yeah. He was like, you better stop harassing Andrea. I'm going to marry her and you better leave her alone. Yeah, this is the real deal, man. <laughs> he's in love and he's going to protect her immediately. Um, but the DA was like, man to man, dude. Red flag. I don't, I don't think you should marry that crazy broad because she's probably going to get charged with the murder of her last husband. And But Mims was all in. He was like, nope, I we are getting married. We are in love. Um, on March 25th, 1982... Andrea's attorney notified, uh, was notified that she was being charged with first degree murder. So she went to the court and paid her a hundred thousand dollar bond and zero jail time. You know, like now she's kind of like a, a wealthy widow. Yeah. Uh, And get this, because she didn't want to sell her condo to pay for this bond, Joe Mims sold his own home in order to pay it. Because Robert Sands' estate hadn't been settled. She had like $150,000 and she had the equity in the house, but she didn't have any other part of his estate yet. So then Joe... Yeah. uh Uh-huh. So Joe moved into Andrea's condo with her and he's going to protect her from the monsters that are attacking her because he's down bad. The two were married and two months after their wedding, Mims called the police because Andrea had been abducted. Police came, they started an investigation, they began a search, but before they could get far enough into the search for it to actually do anything, she turned up with the same old story and no evidence. And Mims supported her. They doubled down claiming like it was these people that murdered her ex-husband. They keep torturing her. They keep coming back and attacking her. And you guys need to find out who it is. And it kind of seems like the trend with Andrea was that for the first few months, things are great. She can like present this image that they wanted and that she wanted. But on Halloween in 1982, Andrea and her new husband went on what Mims thought would be a long romantic drive. The two drove along Highway 74 before pulling onto an isolated road. Andrea laid out a blanket and invited Joe out so that she could fillet him. Do you know what that means? Uh, like cut up? No. It means like to, uh, why can't I, I don't want to say it. Uh, she was giving him. Say it. Say it. She was soaking that D. Um, Oh, give him that. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So she was like, I'm going to lay out this blanket and I'm going to go down on you and we're going to have a real nice time out here on this dirt road. Um. So after they finished, she saved his semen on a tissue, which I promise is relevant to the story. I was and like, then, Ew, why are you telling me that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, don't tell me about his 
semen. Um, I promise it's relevant. And then she made Joe roll over and she was going to give him a massage, which like picnic blanket in the dirt is honestly not my idea of the time to perform. No, I need like a bed and some like, warm candles. <laughs> like aftercare. <laughs> like, this is not it. Let's go anywhere else. Like, uh, a, not the heart. Like, I appreciate the sentiment if it's leading to an actual <laughs> massage, but I just get the vibe that it's not what it's going for. It's not. Like, here, lay, lay on this fucking dirty blanket while I give you a massage in the middle of the desert. No, thank you, ma'am or sir. Uh, also, the ground's probably hard. Like, I'm... And cold. I don't know. And, yeah, I mean, it's California, so maybe not. Oh, but, yeah. But it gets uh, cold at night. I remember when we were in L.A., I was like, oh... Oh, it's a, a little bit brisk. Chilly. A little um, brisk. <laughs> so anyways, you guys, to each their own. Maybe you're into dirty picnic blankets, and that's all you. I'm not here to kink shame you. I wasn't like when I was 16, but now that I have a bed, I'm like, no. <laughs> <laughs> Don't worry. Andrea definitely had an ulterior motive. Oh, this bitch. <laughs> Once he was laying down on his stomach, stomach, he felt something cold and hard rip into his head on the top of his body. He screamed in pain and turned around to find his beautiful new wife swinging a hammer at him. Jesus Christ. He pushed her away. He ripped the hammer out of her hands and it was like, what the hell's your deal? And she told him that she needed to knock him out so that people would believe that she had been raped. And her plan was to use the semen as evidence of her rape and claim that he had been knocked out, even though it's his semen. Like, she's. Do you know what forensics are? But also, this is the 80s, so it's not fully. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you could still, I feel like they probably could still tell whose semen it is. Yeah. I'm not sure. You know, you'd have to fact check me on that one because I'm not confident in what I'm saying there. But I think they would still be able to tell. So she, he got the hammer from her and he was like, no, dummy. Uh, and the two drove home. And now that he was quite literally knocked to his senses he went to the hospital had his head looked at stitched up and then moved out they went home that's the craziest thing is like him being like no dummy let's go home together let's go home he moved out the very next day so he went back and then went to the hospital and then moved out of the condo and he went to the authorities and told them what had happened and then he went and made the moves to have their marriage annulled like he was like, "Yep, you guys were right. I shouldn't have. I, my bad. Yeah, like this bitch is crazy. This bitch be crazy." Uh, and then because she attempted to murder her new husband, her bail was revoked and she was arrested. So everything's coming up, Andrea. Her attorney, under the premise that you know she wasn't a mentally stable human, accurate. Uh, he requested that she be examined for competency and she was taken to the hospital. And while at the hospital, she tried to commit suicide twice by um, slashing her wrists. Yeah, oh, that's unfortunate. Yeah. She survived. 
Uh, and her attorney actually ended up resigning because she was unable to continue paying him because Robert Sands' estate wasn't settled and she didn't have any money anymore. So hmm. in came a public defense attorney after they had told her she was competent to stand trial, but he still entered a plea of not guilty by reason of insanity and then used the idea that Andrea had been abused by these men for years and she inevitably snapped because Robert Sand was trying to force her to carry out all of his like sadomasochistic fantasies. But the prosecution found this guy named Richard Cordine and Richard was serving a 12-year sentence for robbery at Nevada State Prison. And Andrea had started a pen pal relationship with him in 1977 that continued for years until Jeez. Joe McMims actually stopped it. And Cordine immediately sold her out. He testified that Andrea called him after the sand murder and was like, yeah, I stabbed the bastard. And, you know, whether that's true remains to be seen because we've seen people do that all the time. Just yeah, to get, like, yeah, yeah. Sentences reduced, like, to do whatever they needed to. Um, but there was enough there that the prosecution was like, yeah, we can use you. The prosecutor called her a malingerer who would lie to achieve her own end. He dismissed the idea of her killing Sand out of self-defense because, as we remember, Robert was in a wheelchair. They were like, she didn't kill him out of self-defense. Uh, the prosecution stated that Andrea planned Sand's murder to get money from his will. Yeah. At the time of his death, she received roughly $150,000 in cash and $100,000 equity in their condo. But she had stabbed Robert Sand 27 times and smashed his head in while he lay in his bed. And Andrea attempted to take the stand to recount her tales but in the end a 10 woman two man jury found Andrea Mims guilty of first degree Good. murder and honestly i say this as a survivor of like domestic violence like what it's like a spit in the face to who like to people who have really endured that and survived it and i'm not saying that she didn't suffer abuse because obviously she did over her the course of her life but yeah. um we're not out here stabbing people 27 times you know no dude that's overkill so the judge sentenced her to 26 years to life and then sent her to the california institute for women in frontera joe mims though just couldn't seem to get over her he knew that she had killed Robert, but also believed that she had been pushed to do it. And he was listening to a radio show talk about PMS and was like, that must be it. <laughs> she had raging PMS and that is why she Same. killed her ex-husband <laughs> and tried to murder me, obviously. So he researches PMS and he visited her in prison and explained like, oh, this is why you did these things. And she like went to the physician and requested progesterone, even though she had like no symptoms of PMS, which I think now it's actually called what they're referring to as PMDD. It's like premenstrual mm -hmm. dysphoric disorder. And it's similar to PMS, but it's more serious. It's like severe irritability and anxiety and it's, 
symptoms go away like yeah. a couple days after, which I don't know, I feel like I sound like a medical commercial now, but different things. I understand that they're different. I feel like someone's going to bring it up. So I got you. But she did get a prescription for progesterone and allegedly it changed her disposition a little bit. And while she was in prison, Andrea displayed model behavior. Mims held on to this hope that he could get a new trial for her with this like PMS, PMDD theory. And he proposed to her again and Andrea (laughs) accepted. So there's a letter. He would write her letters while she was in prison. And one of the letters said, my darling Drea. I promise you a love that will be true. I will always put you first in my life. I will do all I can to meet your every need. While we are apart, it will be hard, but our God will bring you home to me. I love you with all my heart. Your hubby, Joe. This bitch tried to murder you. Yeah, hubby my ass. <laughs> like, are, do you you remember that? You Poor remember guy. That? On May 13th, 1986, which, if you have eagle ears was the day that she murdered Robert Sands like five years earlier. Joe Mims was set to marry Andrea at the prison she was serving her sentence at. But when he got there, he started to experience chest pain and he collapsed. They took him to Chino Community Medical Hospital and he was pronounced dead of a heart attack. The Jesus. That they were supposed to get married again. That's the universe being like, nah, man, this ain't it. Don't do it. Don't do it, bro. (laughs) Yes, absolutely. Dude, poor guy. That's awful. It is. It's really sad. Um, Not a rough end. Rough last couple years there. After Mims' death, Andrea immediately reverted back to the story that intruders had killed Robert Sand. She was like, actually, um, it wasn't the PMS thing. Uh, it was intruders, the same ones that kept torturing me. But during her prison term, she kind of became like a prolific artist within the prison world, and she won a bunch of awards. She became a no. Buddhist. There was a prison newsletter that she was interviewed in that said she was very proud of her achievements and that she had used the last 20 plus years that she had been in prison to improve herself and grow in a positive way. And she was actually paroled in 2012. Whoa. However, soon after leaving prison, she got ovarian cancer and it moved into her lungs and she died at the Mesa Verde convalescent hospital in Costa Mesa, California. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. So she was old and then died, which I don't know. I don't care how good of a fucking prisoner you are. No, I don't care. Like you obviously needed that order in your life to be a functional human being. There are some people, like some prisoners, who they live these horrific lives outside and then they really thrive inside. Because they just needed order. You just needed someone to be like, here's what you got to do every day, baby. Just like this. And, uh, yeah, those people probably do have pretty tragic backstories. But, again, stabbing someone 27 times means you have to go to jail forever. Okay? For sure. 
And I'm like, not. That's not self-defense. Like, what are, like, 27 times. No, no, that's a rage killing. That's I'm furious. Yeah, exactly. I'm going to stab you until I can't fucking breathe. Mm-hmm. And you're going to. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I just think that the. I do think it's so funny that Mims was like. I'm a, she's a raging PMS. And like. I don't know. I think that's just really funny. It's such a, it's such an eighties thing, like an eighties. Yeah, 90s very. Thing. That's what I was thinking. I'm like, that's very like. It sounds like an episode of Friends. Like, yeah, I heard she got her period and killed a guy. Um, maybe not Friends, but something along those lines, like some sick. I was thing. like, oh, what kind of Friends have you watched? <laughs> that's yeah, weird. It's the PG thirteen Friends. I. I guess cover your cover your ears, boys. Period stuff. Like I always cry and get a little irrational exactly one day before my period. Dude, and mine's like, like four days before, and I am a bitch to be around. It's just the first, the one day I, and it's always like I'll cry about something that I wouldn't normally cry about. And, and you're like, like, oh, here it comes. And then the next day, I'll get my period, and I'm like, oh. There it is. That was why I cried. I knew like mama didn't fucking... raise no bitch. <laughs> exactly. Like, mama didn't raise no bitch. I was hormonal. But it's always the my, exact day before. My favorite's when I'm, like, really irrational and my husband is like, uh, are you, like, um, I'm like, no. Are you PMSing? Like, is it your time of the month? <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, no. And then I'm like, Ugh. there Ooh, it is. Yep. I was. Shit, my bad. Which, like, we should know, right? Because it... Yeah, my bad, G. My bad. (laughs) You're like, actually, if I would have marked this on the calendar last month, like I said I was going to, I would know when I'm going to be a wretch. That's the best part. Everyone does that, right? Everyone's like, okay, I'm going to mark this so I remember Uh for the next time, and no one ever fucking does it. It doesn't matter if I have an app. It doesn't matter if I have a calendar. The app. Oh, my God. Like my that app, app, just wasting my health on Apple is like, you haven't had a period in 200 days. I'm like, no, I have. I just keep forgetting to tell you guys. <laughs> Sorry, Apple. I'll keep you up to date on my menstrual cycle next time. Uh, yeah, <laughs> that's true. You know what? My, I kind of want to look at mine now because I check my health, uh, my Apple health thing because I want to see my steps. I'm like, ooh, how many steps did I get? And then I always see that, and I'm like, oh, I should check that. Dude, I I should record that. My steps are fucking embarrassing. Mine aren't great. They're not, like, I'm not getting 10,000 steps a day. Dude, no. But, like, Monday I got... You get, like, 10,000 snacks a day. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Those fruit smiles are gone by the end of the week. Ayo. Let's see. On Monday, I had 3,700. And today, I bad. had 2,000. Mine's um, like four. <laughs> 14 <laughs> steps. You walked from your bedroom to your office, and that's where you've been. No, and you went to dinner like, tonight. Have, oh, yeah. I went to dinner tonight. That's at least like 10. <laughs> at least 10. Car to the restaurant. And then you're going to oh, eat yeah, like 20. Did you get Mexican? No, I did uh, fish tacos, like Mexican food, but not in a Mexican restaurant. But it's like this like, Mexican... winery place. Look, if Mexican food is on the menu, I don't care where it is. Like, I'm going to get it. It's because, like, tacos are hard to, like, do poorly, mm-hmm. I think. 
It's the same. Yeah, that's what it is. Honestly, like pizza, tacos, like your classic food groups. It's hard to like mess it up. Yeah, it's like it's not like I'm always gonna eat it. And I'm always gonna be like, man, these are good, but they're like not as good as like insert favorite taco place. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. When you do, when you eat eat fish tacos, do you like like a whole piece of fish, or do you like like chopped up? No, I'm like a crumble girl. No cheese. Just slaw, like cabbage and Baja the sauce. sauce, whatever the sauce it. is. Yeah, it's always yep. so good. It's the best part of a fish taco. Always good. Yeah, fish Sorry. Taco. yeah. always the <laughs> shit. But I feel like that's where we could we can cut it. That's fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm fine Leave with it that. Fish tacos. I'll see you Friday, right. Bye. and I'll talk to you later. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to Gruesome Horrific True Crime. We love you, beautiful strangers, and if you love us too, here are some ways that you can support Gruesome. Please leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or a five-star rating on Spotify. This helps other true crime connoisseurs find us. Follow us at Gruesome Podcasts on Instagram or TikTok and talk to us on our posts. Join the Patreon. Sign up to join our True Crime Sticker of the Month Club and gain access to bonus episodes and exclusive Patreon perks. Or if a one-time donation is more your thing, we have a Venmo at Gruesome Podcast and a PayPal via our email, gruesomepodcast at gmail.com. Speaking of which, we love hearing from you. It seriously makes our whole life. So send us your questions, comments, suggestions, Or just ask our opinion on whether that person you met on Tinder is a serial killer or not. Tune in next week and don't forget, lock your windows, lock your doors, and on Wednesdays, we're We're gruesome. gruesome. Bye. Bye.